Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Mary Plastic. I am a founder of Upgrade Disability and your host. I want to thank you for joining me today at the intersection of disability and politics. The road ahead can be a bumpy one, so buckle up and let's navigate this journey together. Hello, and thank you for joining me today. Would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, Mary. My name is Cami Randleman. I'm 26 years old. I'm non-binary, and I'm, a, I guess, an amateur disability rights advocate. <laughs> I've been interested in disability justice and, you know, helping, trying to help restore equity for the past few years. I got way more interested in it when I became disabled myself, actually. Um, and I, I've had a few different disabilities longer than I was like doing advocacy. Like I've, I've had like PTSD and I've had an informal diagnosis for autism and ADHD and stuff like that. So that all that stuff has affected me like lifelong. But more recently, I've been trying to get involved with disability advocacy online and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I'm super happy to be talking to you today. Kimmy, I'm so happy to have you. You and I have gotten to know each other on Instagram, and it's just been a wonderful experience. You mentioned a little bit about your diagnosis and becoming disabled. Can you talk about a defining moment in your disability journey? Oh, wow. Oof. So I feel like a defining moment was when I got diagnosed with endometriosis. Because, like I said, I had some mental health disabilities prior to that, but I had been dealing with endometriosis symptoms since I was a kid, and I, I didn't even know what endometriosis was until I was like maybe 20. One of my girlfriends had had it, and she, she was like, I think you have endometriosis. I, uh, we're just going to jump right in and go for the jugular. <laughs> I got my first period when I was like 11, I think. And ever since then, my periods were severe pain. I would feel dizzy. I would feel nauseous. I would get sick. It would be a lot of pain in my belly. And then as I got older, like when I was in high school and stuff, the pain started traveling. So I started having back pain on my period and then leg pain and I would feel it in my feet and stuff like that. And I uh, would be absent. Like in high school, I was absent a few days out of every month. And then I would get in trouble for that. I'd get in trouble all the time for being absent and there was no diagnosis. So it was just like, oh, well, you just have a rough period. And it was awful. <laughs> like it was like, my periods were a nightmare. I would dread it. And then whenever I was probably like 21, 22, the pain started being every day. So it switched from just monthly to every day. And that's how it, how it still is now. And so it was like months of ultrasounds and pelvic exams and the transvaginal ultrasounds and all of that is super invasive and I've been like assaulted before so like having those kinds of procedures over and over and over again was like super traumatic for me like I get a lot of anxiety when I go to the doctor because they're gonna touch me and stuff like that and it's it, it's just been rough like there was a point my doctor thought I might have some type of cancer they didn't know what I had but 2018 I got a laparoscopy and that's when they, they go inside your, your tum and they look um, uh, and they go in with a camera 
and they found endometriosis around my ovaries and stuff like that. And so the thing with endo is that there's no cure for it. And whenever they find those abnormal cells, the endometrium, they just grow back. So they can, they remove it during laparoscopy and then the, the cells just grow back. So I haven't had a surgery since 2018. And like my doctor said right now, my ovaries are like stuck to like the wall of like my pelvis. And so like my ovaries are kind of stuck in place. So when I move my arms up and down, it hurts. And so like, it makes it, that makes it hard to like do my hair and stuff like that and like shower and everything. Um, and like the pain is in my legs as well. And so my doctor thinks that I most likely have the abnormal tissue around my sciatic nerve, um, in my back, um, because endometriosis can grow outside of any organ. It's a full body disease. So it's so fun. I love it here. <laughs> but that was like a, the turning point was getting diagnosed with that. And then I got diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome as well. And then after that, like after we got that kind of handled, I started looking into my mental health more. I got diagnosed with PTSD, but my doctor said I've had it for years based on symptoms and stuff like that and having nightmares for years. And so, it's just, and then I, I got informally diagnosed with autism and ADHD. And so it's like those diagnoses, the endo, the PCOS, the autism, the ADHD, and the PTSD, all of those diagnoses made my whole life make so much more sense to me. It helped explain so many things, like why I think the way I think, even like stimming, like why I like need to like shake my hands to process my emotions and stuff like that, why I need to squeal when I'm happy, why I need to like make weird noises and stuff like that to regulate myself, like why I need to, why I need to carry around stuffed animals so I can have something to squish to process my sen- you know, to get sensory input. It- it's made everything make so much sense. And so diagnosis is so important. And that's why like, I think we need universal healthcare because everyone needs access to diagnosis, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> and, and you're right, and that, that's the thing is that getting a diagnosis is a privilege because I'm 99% sure I also have endometriosis, but I don't have access to a formal diagnosis. And we need to talk about how, you know, having a quote unquote heavy period is not necessarily normal or having a painful period is not normal because I remember in high school, the first day of my period, would be so bad I could get I physically could not get out of bed from the pain. And now at 44, I understand why it was that way. So we do need universal health care. We and I've said this before, we need more adequate health care because adequate health care is not enough because the adequate healthcare that a disabled and chronically ill person will receive will still be subpar to the adequate care that a non-disabled person will get. Absolutely. I um on one of the other episodes you had mentioned about when they say the pain scale when you're at the hospital, is your pain and on a scale from one to ten, where's your pain? For disabled people, you know, people with, and people with chronic pain, 
like for me, if I say I'm like, normally my pain is at a six or, or is at a six, honestly, my pain, my belly, my legs, and I'm, I'm in a wheelchair because of my endo. Most of the time I'm in a wheelchair or I'm using my cane. If I, so if I say I'm at a nine, I'm going to die. Like I need you to help me. But if they, if I'm at the hospital and I say I'm at a nine, I'm being dramatic <laughs> or like, they don't, they don't believe you until they see like evidence that it's hurting that bad. But I'm like, if I'm at a, if I'm at a, at a six or a seven, I probably won't be crying or anything because I'm, I'm used to my pain being that high. But if it's like a nine or a 10, then it's like, I'll be like, probably like hysterical, but then they don't take you seriously if you're acting like that. So it's like, you don't really know like, how honest can I be with you, Mrs. Doctor, <laughs> you know? But I mean, for me, my base is a five. And I said before, like, not, like people who don't have chronic pain, they're at a zero or a one most of the time. If I'm at a five, that's a really good day. But I'm normally at a seven or eight most of the time. And I wonder what we could get done if, if we could live at a one. Can you imagine? I can't imagine what we could do if we could get down to zero. I remember this was at least two and a half years ago. I woke up and I was at a five and I wanted to cry because I remember what it was like to wake yeah. up and hardly no pain. I'm like, I didn't remember what that felt like. And I exactly. wanted to cry. I'm like, oh my God. And then you realize I live in so much pain every day. The average person, there's no way, no way that they can handle the pain that you and I live in every single day. Exactly. And it's like, I don't, we don't wish that on them and I feel like that's why I don't know I feel like that's why like our advocacy is so important because it's like we know how little accessibility there is we know how how little help there is in the healthcare system we know how expensive it is to be treated because chronic illness means it's not going to go away anytime soon so it's like to be treated for the rest of your life is is expensive and so it's like we're trying to protect people from that by saying, hey, let's make the world accessible because, you know, it's going to, you're going to need it eventually. You're going to need the accessibility. Can we remind people that chronic illness means it's chronic? I'm not really sure why that's so difficult for some people to understand, but chronic illness means it's chronic. It doesn't go away. And no, I won't get better. I'm sorry. So there's no cure? So... So, so what happens? You're like, there's always this like pity look that people give us. I'm, I know you know the look. Like when uh, you say, oh yeah, like there's no cure for endo. Oh, there's no cure for blah, 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 for autism, for whatever. They pity you. And I'm like, the only reason that we would need to be pitied is because the world is inaccessible. It's not because like of the disability itself. Like, I feel like I'd be like way more content if like, it was easy to get in and out of the house if it was safe to get in and out of the house because you know people are caring about disabled people and our survival with COVID. If there's a lot of like if there was things put in place to protect us and make our lives easier to live, like it would be 
you know, being disabled wouldn't be something to pity. But I don't even want to be pitied because it's inaccessible. I want people to be angry about it and be proactive about it. I don't want your pity. I want you to be an ally. I want yeah. you to do something. I want you to care. Like, right. Take all that energy you have and pity me and do something about it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about this because... I talk about this so much, intersectionality. When I say that word, what comes to mind when I say intersectionality? Kimberly Crenshaw. So uh, she was the, the person who coined that term and it was used like for law purposes at first and to show like, you know, if you're in multiple marginalized groups, you're gonna be affected differently than someone who's not and like she made it like for court cases for when it was like yeah like overlapping groups like a a woman who's black she's gonna be discriminated against because she's a woman and because she's black um and then because of colorism like depending on like how dark her skin is she'll be even more discriminated against based on that and so it's like that's different than a white woman who was in the same case so I think of that immediately but it's like the more diverse groups you're in like if you're like for me it's like I'm black I'm gay I'm non-binary I'm mentally disabled I'm physically disabled I'm poor you know whatever else it's like so the more you groups you're in the further you are from care the further you are from a good amount of money that you need to live the further you are from abundance in general and I think it's good that the term has gone mainstream And it, it, because without people being aware that there's these disparities in these hierarchies and stuff like that, like we can't break down like the barriers that are separating us from like, you know, everyone having abundance because with, with liberation, everyone can live in abundance. And it's not like with intersectionality, it's this competition. Like I'm more poor than you, or I'm, I'm more oppressed than you. It's not a competition. It's like, no one should be, no one should be you know, far from the care they need, no one should be like having less access to things because of they're in a certain group and stuff like that. So we need to break all that down. I agree. I'm going to tell a brief story. I'll probably get in trouble for telling the story, but it's my podcast. I, I'm going Hell to yeah. Anyway, um, and, and my story will read into the next question for you. I was in a meeting and I was in a professional setting and I mentioned intersectionality and a white disabled woman said to me, oh, that's a buzzword. And I said, hold on. I said, you're showing your privilege. I said, and this is a quote in my email signature again. Gets me in hot water, but I don't care. Privilege is not having to understand intersectionality. And I told this woman, Yes. I said to her, I said, I don't have a choice. I have to understand what intersectionality is. It is not a buzzword because how can you say, Intersectionality is a buzzword. So 
again, I probably will get in trouble for telling the story, but this is my space and my podcast, and as I tell all my guests, I want them to be themselves in this space, and I'm going to do the same. I'm telling my truth, and that's why I'm doing so. While we're talking about getting into trouble, let's talk about being, you being a black individual and myself being a brown woman, being disabled and opinionated, and how people react when we are. Oh, people don't like it. <laughs> they don't they like it. They don't they, like it. They hate it. Yo, okay. <laughs> I told one of my friends, I told my friend Jamie about this. I lose followers every time I talk about race. Every single time I talk about race. And I lose followers when I talk about disability in a way that's not inspirational. So if I say something about disability, that's like, here's a way you can dismantle your ableism. Here's a, here's a word that you can't say anymore because this is a slur and it hurts disabled people. And here's like something that needs to be fixed. They don't like that. So a lot of times I get DM, but sometimes I just get like a mass unfollowing. <laughs> and uh, doctors don't, my doctors don't like it. I have one doctor that I really love, but my other doctors, especially the ones that are men and white men, like they don't like when I say, when I ask for an alternate treatment, I'm like, can I, can we do pelvic floor therapy? Can we do da 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 Like they don't, they don't like when I when I'm asking a lot of questions. They they try to rush you out the door. They don't like complicated patients. They don't like people with layers and stuff like that. And so it's like there's always pushback when you're black or black brown, a person of color, and you you want to speak up, especially about something that is about oppression, about liberation. People don't like that shit. They don't make it so funny. It's like why are you offended by me speaking my truth? What, what does that do for you? You're so funny about that. And I will tell you, when I post on social media, the posts that get the least engagement are when I talk about race. When I talk about intersectionality and race, they don't get a lot of engagement. When I make the quote-unquote bold statement, which is not a bold statement, the fact when I say Black disabled lives matter, oh my goodness, like I, like, I just said something horribly offensive. I'm like, not really, but like, again, like I have said, if you do any type of social justice work, Disability justice is a part of that. And I don't like, like you said, and again, I want to recognize that I have privilege over you because I am a black, I am a brown woman, but at the same time, I still get pushback. I don't get, maybe don't get the pushback that you do, and I understand that, but there's always pushback for us Oh yeah. Yeah, there's always pushback. (laughs) I got a lot more tone policing in 2020 and stuff like that because that was like the year I was like, I 
kind of promised myself that I wanted to start being myself. And I was like, I don't want to be suppressed anymore. And I want to heal. And I was like, let me find the areas that I feel suppressed in. So it was like, I felt suppressed when I would talk about my disability and stuff like that. I would feel suppressed when I would share my access needs and they were ignored by like people around me or like even at my job and stuff like that. And I felt suppressed in, you know, XYZ area. And so like, I started posting more online about like, I first started posting about like LGBT rights and I started posting about like my journey with my faith of like, you know, leaving Christianity and stuff like that. And I just started posting things that were in my head and it wasn't to stir up trouble or to make people upset, but it was just to bring people into my journey and my, like my path with me and to make people who were going through the same thing feel like they had someone that was with them. But a lot of times I would say like things supporting like gay rights and stuff like that. And people would get so mad and DM me and saying like, you're sending people to hell. And like a lot of people have said a lot of things to me. (laughs) And it's just like, I don't know, like, do you, do you want to love people or not? You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't want anyone to be safe from my love. I want to love everybody. (laughs) And I, you know what I'm saying? I want everyone to feel safe. I want everyone to be liberated. And that can't happen if we're locked up in fear. It can't happen if we're, you know what I mean? Like if I'm, if I let my fear of people being mad at me, if I let that control me, nothing would get done. And it's hard. It's so hard, but I'm like, I don't, I don't want to live in fear anymore. I'm tired. It is so, so difficult. We're all time for this episode. Stay tuned for part two, where we dig a little deeper into disability, growing up in church, COVID, and so much more. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Politics of Disability podcast. As you never get remember, disability is political, Disability is messy. Disability is not powerful, nor does it have to be.